You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Some Democrats are saying that, hey, we can get Joe Biden to take the guard away from Texas from Greg Abbott. Just nationalize it. That way, Joe Biden can use the National Guard in Texas to, in essence, not enforce border law. Greg Abbott's trying to enforce border law. But does Joe Biden have any legal standing to do that from the Heritage Foundation? Senior legal fellow Hans von Spakovsky. Happiest 2024, my friend. Welcome back to the program. So there you go. Does Joe Biden have a legal leg to stand on when it comes to taking over the guard to not enforce law at the border? Uh, No, he doesn't. Um, If you look at the federal statutes that govern the National Guard, uh, in times of war and national emergencies, the president can call the National Guard into service as part of our military reserve, but he can only do it with the consent of the governor of that state. So if the governor doesn't give that consent, then they remain under the complete uh, control of the governor. And so the, the, the president can't do that. Now, there are certain circumstances under which that can be overridden, but none of them fit in this situation. And what those uh, federal statutes talk about is uh, they're based on the Insurrection Act of 1807. And you have to show that there is a rebellion going on. Um, and that obviously is not the case here. Um, you have to show, for example, that uh, state and federal laws are not being enforced, uh, that judicial proceedings, the, the regular course of judicial proceedings aren't working. And of course, as you know, that's not the situation here. No yep. court, no court has said Texas can't uh, continue to do what it's been doing, which is putting up uh, barbed wire fencing to try to secure the border. So uh, the president has no legal authority to take over the guard, as I read some folks like Beto O'Rourke have been urging him to do. Yeah. Does the state of Texas, does Greg Abbott have a firm constitutional leg to stand on when it comes to defending the state of Texas from invasion? Is in my opinion, the governor finally has properly declared. I know he's been saying that for several months, but it's obvious to everybody this is an invasion. There is no border unless Texas puts up something. So describe for us again, constitution-wise, this protection, this defense of the border. Well, keep in mind that what Texas was doing was putting up fencing on state-owned and private property, not federal property. And when the federal government started cutting holes in the fencing, uh, they went to court. Um, The Fifth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals issued an injunction telling the Biden administration that it could not take down this fencing that the state was putting on state land. Um, The Biden administration appealed that. It was an emergency appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court simply issued a very simple two-sentence order, not on the merits, not on the merits of the issue, but simply saying, no, there won't be an injunction while this case is on appeal. And the case, I think, is being argued on uh, the 15th in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And so uh, Texas will continue to push on this. But the whole point is, is that the, the only thing the courts did was say, well, no, the Biden administration can't be stopped from removing parts of the fencing. But they didn't say a word 
about Texas not being able to continue to put up fencing. And as you know, apparently the Biden administration has stood down and said, well, no, it's not going to try to remove the fencing. Hans von Spakovsky from Heritage, the executive branch is absent willfully, in my opinion. Joe Biden is not enforcing border law. He's got his minions out there. Mallorca's allowing everybody into the country to stay when they cross illegally. Is there, legally speaking, any any politicians, any attorneys general, any governors to sue the executive branch, sue Joe Biden for not doing his job? Well, as you know, it's very difficult to force a president to engage in actions if he doesn't want to do it. And the Biden administration has done nothing but fight in court to avoid actually having to do what they're supposed to do, which is enforce immigration law. You may have seen that one of the House committees investigating Mayorkas, the head of DHS, just released uh, an impeachment resolution. And I've taken a look at it, and those who say that, oh, no, you shouldn't impeach somebody uh, just because they have a different policy priority are looking at this the wrong way. Uh, They don't want to impeach him for having a different policy priority. They want to impeach him for directly violating federal law. And one, just one example of that is, is that the, neither the president nor the secretary of Homeland Security have the right to provide mass parole to illegal aliens in the U.S. They can't do that. That's a, that's a violates federal law, and yet they've been doing exactly that. So what this House committee is recommending is Mayorkas be impeached for actually violating federal law and directing the people who work for him at DHS to violate federal law. That is an impeachable offense. <laughs> yeah, but why just Mallorca? I mean, he's only an employee of the executive branch. It's Joe Biden who's responsible for this this policy or non-enforcement policy. It, that's it's He's the boss. Why not go after Joe Biden? Well, that's a political question, and uh, I guess you'd have to go into whether um, Republicans in the House are willing or not willing to do that. And I think their idea is to start with Mayorkas, who's directly in charge of of what is happening, whether they would then go over his head. I don't know. It's just that cowardly and they don't want to go after Joe Biden because they don't want to impeach him because it's going to look like tit for tat. Look, I, I... I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, uh, what I can tell you is that I think they have the grounds for doing it. Not, it's not just a difference in policy priorities, but it's, frankly, a secretary of DHS and a, and a president who are directly violating federal immigration law. Look, they're even giving work permits to illegal aliens coming across the border, and federal law strictly prohibits that. There's only certain aliens who get into the country who are entitled to get work permits, and the illegal aliens coming across aren't entitled to that, and yet they're doing it anyway. That's, yeah. again, that's a direct violation of federal immigration yeah. law. Last week, saw, at least from New York, I think you're referring to New York, many of these illegal immigrants, the overwhelming majority of them, yeah, they're not taking uh, that opportunity to, to sop up some of those jobs. From the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow. I just want to get your um, quick comment on all these states lining up behind the state of Texas. Well, I think it was like 24, 25 states in support 
right. what the governor is doing. I don't think our nation has been this divided. I mean, I can't remember when we were this divided in such a long time. And I guess these states likely will be sending more resources, National Guard and, and other law enforcement resources to the border. They should, because these days you don't have to be a border state for this to be a problem. We're all border states now because, as you know, um, the, the Biden administration is transporting, paying for taxpayers, are paying to transport these illegal aliens all over the country. Hans, thank you. We'll speak again soon, friend. You be safe. Sure. Thanks for having me. From the Heritage Foundation, Senior Legal Fellow Hans von Spakovsky. This is the Sergio Show. Liquefied natural gas, billions of dollars, thousands of jobs on the way. Might all this be flushed down the toilet by, you know, who? Joe Biden, because he, you know, there's a climate emergency, doesn't want any LNG overseas. He finally bends a knee, again bends a knee to all the environmentalist wackos. From MatadorEconomics.com, my friend Tim Snyder, let's get a better definition. Now that we've had a two, three days behind us, from your perspective, Tim, this effort by the Biden administration to pause LNG, liquefied natural gas exports from the U.S. to name a Europe, Europe needs it because, you know, the whole Ukraine-Russia thing. Who is going to be affected by this pause in any new LNG exports, Tim? Sergio, it's good to be on with you, and thanks for having me on there. There's a couple of clarification points that need to be made here, but we're going to first frame it by saying this. In my estimation, after reading the announcement from the White House, uh, I believe this is a first shot across the bow to LNG exporters and developers in this country. So this is step one of what will probably be more than this particular step. To be specific, the the uh, pause on the exporting of LNG is related to, and this is a nuance, so please understand this is a particular little thing in the contract. Okay. It's to non-free trade agreement countries currently. That's what this pause is for. If, if we have a free trade agreement with somebody, we can still continue to uh, export to those countries. If, and here's the big kicker, if the export permit from the plant that was approved by FERC has been approved for non-FTA shipments, non-free trade agreement country shipments. So what they're pausing right now is any non-free trade agreement shipments of LNG while they evaluate the process. And this uh, is, in my estimation, is a threat to all existing projects. And that's something that that the industry itself is taking notice of, Sergio, um, because what it's doing is it basically can turn our backs on our our, uh, allies and our friends, number one, but it also uh, limits uh, free trade and the ability uh, for U.S. investment uh, to flow into these projects. It's, it's a pretty, it's a very serious event. Tim Snyder, MatadorEconomics.com. So how often do exporters, how often do LNG producers, do they need to ask Uncle Sam for permission to export overseas is that yearly once they get a permit does that stick around for several years 
Um, I don't know the exact period of time, but I do know there was a facility in Louisiana while it was waiting for uh, the approval to, um, uh, you know, be able to export LNG. You've got to get that approved to have to have the export permit for your plant. Um, while it was waiting, the plant did not complete construction, so they went back and they included non-FTA countries in the new um, uh, permit request, and that plant has been put on hold uh, as well while they go through this evaluation. So uh, it is a obviously is a process that does expire and has to be re-upped. Um, it could very well be that they could change, the, the Department of Energy could change the evaluation process and the timing of this. Everything is on the table. My goodness. Free trade agreement countries. Please tell me that the majority of the clients that are waiting for LNG from present outfits, near future outfits, including the one reporting to you here from South Texas, Brownsville with an $18.5 billion project, Please tell me that the overwhelming number of clients are from free trade agreement countries where they, they're only going to perhaps maybe suffer a little bit. I hate to tell you this. The answer is no. Uh, most of them are non-FTA countries. Um, you know, free trade agreements are like Captain NAFTA, uh, the Pacific trade agreement that we had, those kinds of things. Um, that is that is a, a substitute in treaties and tariffs and those kinds of things that supersedes um, uh, any global uh, in action. Um, and so if you have a free trade agreement with um, the United States, that means that you have direct trade in specific um, commodities and specific markets, and that would be superseded. Now, non-FTA agreement company or countries are like most of Europe, you know, could very well be in that category. And we're providing, you know, we're the nation's largest producer and exporter of LNG. And this could substantially decrease the U.S. influence within that market. There were some policymakers who were opining yes. this past week and saying that this is simply just a retaliation by Joe Biden to hurt Texas. Texas is not playing ball with Joe Biden's effort to not secure the border. Joe Biden didn't want anybody securing the border. And, you know, Greg Abbott standing up to him and putting more razor wire out there. It's just retaliation. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that could be as well. But, you know, it's also hurting the Louisiana plants. There, right now, I think there are uh, a significant number of plants that are producing uh, LNG uh, in this in the country, but a, a very few number that are exporting. And the primary export is coming out of, right now, it's coming out of Louisiana. Um, but you know we also have the, the projects that you have up the up the ba- uh, up around the coast in uh, Fort Aransas or, or Corpus Christi, yeah. and of course you guys' project that is just amazing. Um, and so it, yeah, it, it could be a shot there. But this is, I think, unfortunately, this is not directed at Greg Abbott. This is directed at anybody that makes a living in fossil fuels, uh, even clean burning natural gas. Yeah, maybe just a, a final year gasp. Um, just burn it all down, I guess. Just destroy as much as you can before you leave the White House. Right. Yes, sir. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate you, you checking into this. Tim Snyder for MatadorEconomics.com. Look for his newsletter. This is The Sergio Show.
you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. As far as our military is concerned, let me bring in to the program for commentary on the sad state of affairs right now for some of our troops. Chairman and founder of Bring Our Troops Home is Dan McKnight. Dan, let's start with the cred. Let's let's take out some credentials now. Tell folks about your personal experience in the military. You're you're a veteran, so tell folks. Let's start there about your your service yeah. to our country. Absolutely, I served for 13 years, and I served in in three different branches in the in the United States Marine Corps, in the active duty Army, and in the Idaho Army National Guard, where I deployed to Afghanistan as a member of uh, of, of the National Guard from 2005 to 2007. And uh, came home after the war and uh, became disillusioned with our mission there. I felt like we were sending our troops abroad without clear definition of success and what the war was supposed to look like and how we could win the war. And I formed an organization called Bring Our Troops Home um, in 2019 with the sole purpose of affecting U.S. foreign policy and, and creating a more restrained vision of how we use the military around the world by forcing Congress to do their job and to declare war before we ever participate in war. How successful have you been in getting lawmakers to listen to you? You know, our success in Washington, D.C. has been very limited because the Uniparty is not interested in actually following the Constitution, and Congress is not interested in reclaiming their constitutional authority under Article 1, Section 8. So we have now pivoted. And instead of working in Washington, D.C., we're working in the states with the state legislatures. And we have a bill that we have got uh, introduced into over 30 states. It's called Defend the Guard. Essentially, it would require that the National Guard from each state withholds their National Guard from being called into federal service for the purposes of combat unless Congress has first done their job. So we could, we're trying to remove 50% of the military's force to go around the world on these wars, these adventures, these wars of choice, unless we've done it the right way. If Congress wants to put their name on the line, hmm. then the National Guard should willingly put their boots on the ground. Interesting. Um, that that comment comes at a time when, okay, that's a foreign engagement. When it comes to an, a U.S. response, we got a bunch of Democrats asking for Joe Biden to take over the Texas National Guard because we are at loggerheads right now. Joe, we got Greg Abbott and Joe Biden. Greg Abbott trying to enforce law on the border. Joe Biden and minions, obviously not. And the call by some Democrats to nationalize the guard here in Texas, take it away from Greg Abbott, who, who's trying to put up some razor wire. I mean, what do you make of this, this bizarre Twilight Zone situation that we have on the U.S. Mexican border? No, it's absolutely. You know, the National Guard and the, uh, the disdain that the current administration has for the service members in each state um, is magnified by a, a, a headline that I saw this morning when I woke up. Uh-huh. Arizona National Guardsmen among those injured in Jordan drone strike. This happened yesterday. Uh-huh. We had the bill, Defend the Guard, passed through the state Senate in Arizona last year. 
and the Republican Speaker of the House put the bill in his drawer and refused to let it be heard in the House, we could have prevented the death of, uh, of Arizona National Guardsmen in Jordan yesterday if we could have gotten this bill passed through the state legislature. So now we pivot to Texas and we see Governor Abbott using the National Guard, which is the state militia, for what they're actually constitutionally um, required to do, repel an invasion. And Joe Biden wants to send in federal shock troops to engage in some sort of armed and hostile conflict with Americans, with citizens of Texas, because they're trying to defend our homeland, something that he has willfully uh, neglected. It's, it's a bizarre, strange a place we find ourselves. And I think that they're gonna find out real fast that Texans and Americans in general do not support the federal government coming into our states and dictating that we turn over our property, our liberty, yeah, and our something. peace and prosperity to some invading force. Just the, to, to hear some Democrats telling Joe Biden, hey, go in there, pull rank, you take over that guard in order not to enforce border law. Man, I think that's as simple and accurate as you can explain it to the American people, and I wish more people would be paying attention. My guest right now is Dan McKnight. He's with Bring Our Troops Home. A quick recap, your thoughts on this attack by the these terrorists. The, these, they keep saying Iran-backed militants attacking a U.S. facility that had a bunch of U.S. service members. What In, in your mind, what should America do next? You know, I, I say bring our troops home, right? That's We should obviously get our house in order and lead the world through peace and economic prosperity and through international diplomacy, not occupation and empire building. You know, demonstrate our leadership by self-restraint and self-governance, not regime change influence peddling. You know, our international good intentions have created this self-induced perpetual war machine cranking out violent insurgents who hate us because of our occupation of their homeland, not because of our freedom and prosperity and the democracy that they claim that they hate. We're in this imperial Rome phase of our own American story arc. And as a reminder for those that aren't really aware, the imperial phase ended with the Roman and Byzantine empires falling when the Turks took control of their own capital city because their military was absent and marching around the world and expanding the empire. The imperial phase has never and will never end with a return to the Republican phase unless we can fully restrain our own foreign policy and tend to our own backyard. So my heart aches for the deaths and the injuries uh, that, that Americans sustained in Jordan. But I have to ask the question, what are we doing there? When did Congress authorize this war effort? When did Congress declare war that justifies us putting our boots on the ground in a foreign sovereign nation? Let's look at policing uh, maritime, uh, Straits of Horror moves, and all these ships, some American, some UK, some allies. And you got everything from petrol uh, and, and other fuels and cargo and uh, container ships, all that, being attacked by Houthis. Is there a role for U.S. naval forces, for the U.S. military to stay there, police, at least patrol and protect U.S. interests that are shipping through the Straits of Hormuz? You know, Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution actually gives power to the federal government to defend the waterways, to defend the seas, and to defend American interests on the international waters. That's actually in our Constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't have a problem with us um, you know, engaging in, in maritime operations. What I do have a problem with, though, is using those maritime operations in the presence of the, of the United States Navy to 
launch strikes and attacks into a country, into a nation, into a, a political body of people that we have not declared war against and with whom we're not at war with. And uh, for us to get this thing right, we do need to reclaim the power that we've given Congress. Congress needs to tell the executive, no more. You do not get to go to war unless we declare it. It's in the Constitution. You have violated the Constitution. And Congress has a duty to use their influence over the executive, no matter who is there, Biden, Trump, Obama, it doesn't matter. If the president has taken us into war illegally, Congress has a duty to impeach because that is an impeachable offense. Dan McKnight with Bring Our Troops Home. Some may say, Dan, look, this thing taking place in the Straits of Hormones, U.S. naval forces are simply shooting back when shot upon from, yes, from land targets. Is your argument only to create an iron dome, let's say, over U.S. commercial ships and and military ships and, and not fire back when shot at? I mean, they shoot missiles from, from beaches and from cities. I, I think it's important to distinguish is the United States Navy in, in, the, uh, in Hormuz because of their protecting trading routes and American commercial interests, or are they there as a show of a posturing and strength because of what's happening in, in Israel with the Palestinians right now. What is the purpose of the United States military being there? And I would, I would suggest that we don't have more, one carrier group, we have two or three carrier groups in the area as a show of force, as the United States flexing their international might. Um, but again, if it's so important for us to send thousands of Americans into a region of the world and occupy multiple nations, and to attack multiple nations with our military might. If it's so important for us to do that, let's do it the right way. Let's declare war. Let's put the full faith, credit, and support of the United States Congress, the government, and our nation as a whole behind the effort, define the mission, define success, get the heck out mm -hmm. of the way and let the military do their job, and then let them come home once they've completed <laughs> it. Don't make us stay there forever. Well understood, yeah. Thanks for your time, Dan. Be safe. From Bring Our Troops Home is Dan McKnight. This is The Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday mornings starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We're well, listening to the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday mornings starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. New national poll showing immigration is now the top concern. You go Midwest, Northeast, all these voters saying immigration, now more of an issue than inflation. Amazing. That's how bad the headlines must be. Eric Ruark is with Numbers USA. Just want to get your initial thoughts on this most recent data showing that about 35% of voters uh, say that it's immigration. That's a big problem right now. It is. It's the number one issue. This is a Harvard-Harris national poll, and that's a reliable poll. They, they've done um, lots of polling on immigration in the past, and we, we cite them quite a bit. And that's, you know, we've seen a lot of attention paid to New Hampshire and Iowa for, for the Republican caucuses and the primaries there. 
where immigration was a top issue, but this is for across the board for all voters. And it's the number one issue. And it's not the number one issue because voters like what's happening and want it to continue. It's because there's opposition to the, the, the Biden border policies. And it's opposition to those which is driving that to the top of the list. Right? When you look at the economy, it's not because people think the economy is going so well. It's number two. It's because they're, they want change and they want change on immigration. And this is going to be something that defines the upcoming general election. Immigration, again, is going to be at the top of the ballot. And President Biden's going to, needless to say, have a very tough time running on his immigration record. Mm -hmm. Is it enough of a dead weight to drag him down, to take him down, to try to, so that we can reverse this open border mindset? In other words, look, I, I had a, a family member comment this. And I, I thought it was spot on. I said, look at the mess that they have up in New York and Chicago and other key areas, Colorado, for example. I said, you know what? You're right. This issue is such a big story for them. Maybe enough Democrats and traditional Democrat groups might come over because blacks are not happy. Some Latinos are not happy. There's a lot of people within big, deep blue Democrat cities and Democrat states that might turn out for Donald Trump in order to reverse this immigration mess. That's a great point. And, you know, what we're seeing across the country you know, the, the, we hear the saying, which is a true saying, that every state's a border state. Um, but what, what we see in New York City, Chicago, and other what would have been, you know, predominantly Democratic voting um, areas push back against what's happening and push back against the policies that were put in place, which have caused this. It's not Governor Abbott or Government DeSantis's fault for, for sending these migrants. Most of them are coming on their own or because the Biden administration is transporting them there with taxpayer dollars. And so it's sort of been the Democratic position that, well, only the MAGA crowd really wants border security or fixes to the immigration system. That's simply not true, as we've talked about with the poll, but that's not been true for many, many years. And I think that what we're seeing from the White House, the strategy is to, number one, try to cut a deal with Republicans in the Senate to say we've dealt with this issue, now let's move on to what our real priorities are, which aren't the border, but you know, maybe Ukraine funding or funding for Israel, whatever it is that they say is their priority, not the border. But yeah, during the general election, oftentimes this is the MO we see is what's the number one concern of Americans, and the media plays into this for sure, mm -hmm. becomes uh, they distract you from that. Well, the yes. shiny object over here is really what we want you to pay attention to, not what are your table you know, the dinner table concerns. And I don't think that the Biden administration is going to be able to do that, particularly running against President Trump, who's going to make the argument, and in many cases, the valid argument, that he had the problem under control when he yes, left office. Yes, he and did. Biden came in and undid those yeah. things. It wasn't completely solved because the laws need to change. And my fear is that maybe laws might change, as they keep talking up in D.C., to free up some Ukraine money, uh, change policies to I mean, put another patch on this. Uh, it's... The mess is the worst it has ever been, exponentially increased by the Joe Biden lack of border law enforcement. It's just a mess right now. And, and I'm thinking of Brandon Judd, who was listening to an earlier interview this morning uh, with colleagues in, here in Texas. Uh, he was making mention of the media, how they're complicit in this, and they will twist the numbers. Uh, it's like it's all agenda driven by the left, even within the newsrooms, where they will say, well, the numbers for this month. 
We're better than last month. Presto! It's you know Joe Biden's policies are working. Joe Biden's policies are ten times creating a problem ten times worse now than it was before, and and just a variation in the number to be reporting that as a victory. That's a true disservice in keeping so many millions of Americans in brute ignorance before the election. Right, and that's sort of been the PR push that we've seen. If during one month, we don't surpass an all-time record for illegal border crossings, then that's a success. Right? And when we saw in December, when we did have an all-time record, the response was, this is not unusual. That is what the White House press secretary yes. said yes. about over 300,000 people illegally crossing the border. And it's not, you know, when we say encounters, that's people who have come into contact with the Border Patrol agents. What Mayorkas said, two Border Patrol agents, which were supported and, and, and confirmed, he told them that over 85% of the people that are being encountered are being released into the United States. This is in violation of the law, but also that doesn't count people who are getting in who aren't encountered, the gotaways, right? And we don't know what that number is, but we certainly can say it's substantial. I mean, there's millions and millions of people that have gotten in under Joe Biden, and it's not it's not because of incompetence. These are this is the result of deliberate willful. and willful decisions yeah, made willful. on the part of the administration, most specifically DHS Secretary Mayorkas, who continues to claim, despite what President Biden said just last week, that the border is secure. That's their position. And huh. so, you know, you can repeat that <laughs> lie, which is an obvious lie, as much as you want. But when people can see with their own eyes what's going on, and Texas has done a lot to, to obviously promote what's going on, to bring attention to it, people don't believe that for a second. Yeah. And that's some. really the disconnect. Wow, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You do have some hardcore believers who are going to yeah. buy into whatever. But as we're pointing out, there's a whole lot of Democrats and independents yeah. who may have been Democratic-leaning or saying, no, this is this is not okay, yeah. and well, we're not going to put up with it. It remains to be seen, Amigo, it remains to be seen when you ask, how bad does it need to get? How bad does it need to be? I tell you what, by the end of election, come November, if things don't change as, as the way people vote, then obviously the answer is not bad enough yet. So hang on to your hats. It would be even worse for another four years because that would be a mandate from the American people yeah. to open up the border even more. Let's let's send C one right. right? Yeah. Let's send C one thirty to go pick him up point. and bring him in into the country. All right. It's a pleasure yeah. speaking with you, Eric. And uh, continue your good work over at Numbers USA from from Numbers USA, Eric Ruark. This is the Sergio Show. It's so sad how cancer touches pretty much every everyone. You know someone, or maybe you, you know, fought it at one time. Cancer, that, that, that scourge. Hopefully, someday in our lifetime, we will hear of a cure, some silver bullet to take it out. Meantime, we got to deal with it. we got to pay for it. It's, it's, it's expensive, my goodness. Heads up for you, family, friends, dealing with things like breast cancer, leukemia, blood cancers of all types. So there might be some potential savings and seeking care and in the fight for this. We got some legislation, D.C. legislation watchdog saying the legislation to watch is H.R. 5378. And I'm going to bring in someone who's on the front lines of, of fighting cancer. We're making friends with Brian Connell. He's vice president of federal affairs watching all this legislation. He's with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Let's get a little bit of background, Brian, from you. Tell me about um, LLS, that that community that you work for. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, again, you're right here with LLS, and really we exist to find 
new cures for blood cancer. Um, and to your point, you know, while we're searching to find all those cures, we're also working to improve the lives of people with blood cancer everywhere, their survivors and their families. So uh, we have our, our eyes out uh, for ways that we can do that all across the country. And we really think that we've identified here, you know, a way that Texans could save a lot of money at the doctor if okay. Congress just well, tells Medicare to say to, to pay the same price for the same service. Uh, these days, the way politics is, we have very few things that Democrats and Republicans can agree on. But I understand that this, H.R. 5378, might be one of those in, in the fight of cancer, and fight against cancer. So can you please, best you can, for, for working people driving around town right now, can you describe uh, this loophole that this legislation hopes to close, help out hospitals, and also help out patients that are fighting cancer? Yeah, that's right. Um, I, you know, I don't think you can get a lot of Democrats or Republicans to agree that the sky's blue. So I think um, we are we're surprised uh, a little bit on uh, on the fact that we really do have a, a policy here that um, you know, just passed the House uh, with 156 Republicans, 154 Democrats in support. So by far the majority of both parties, and it really does get at uh, you know this loophole as you mentioned. Uh, a glitch in the way Medicare works. Um, hospitals, big hospital systems in particular, um, have figured out that if they buy up a doctor's office, they can charge two times, three times, even four times what the doctor had been paid before for that same service. So they are buying up these doctor's offices, they're charging patients more for the same care, um, and it makes money for the big hospitals, but it raises costs for patients and for taxpayers at the same time. Okay, so uh, the legislation hopes to put a stop to that, like prevent more consolidation, more uh, purchases by doctor groups and to purchase these clinics, or what's the objective of this legislation? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's, uh, so the, the bill itself, you mentioned it's uh, H.R. 5378. Uh, it's called the Lower Cost, More Transparency Act. Uh, it really does just what it, just what it says in the title. Um, you know, the solution's not even complicated. We really just need Medicare, uh, and this is what this bill would do, has Medicare start paying the same price for the same healthcare service, regardless of who owns the, doc the office. So whether it's a doctor that owns the office or the hospital owns the office, Medicare should be paying the same price for that same service. And that way, a patient who's paying a percentage of the cost doesn't pay more, and the taxpayer doesn't pay more okay. um, when it's you know healthcare of the same quality. This is the Again, this is Medicare, this is for retirees and, and for seniors. This only addresses, from their perspective, that, that seasoned community, uh, the pricing that is applied to them that doesn't necessarily address what insurance carriers or out-of-pocket folks pay or health share people pay at a younger age, right? Uh, it starts to get at it, I'll say. You know, one of the things in the bill would just be some transparency on where care happens. Right now it's hard for private insurers and, uh, and employers even understand where care is happening to price it differently. Um, and this bill helps to have some transparency in the way a hospital's bill so that we can know if a service is happening, you know, on the main campus downtown or if it's mm -hmm. happening at a doctor's office. Uh, and maybe they can start paying differently depending on uh, the quality of the care in each of those places. Brian Connell is one of the vice presidents for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. He's, keep, he's keeping an eye on legislation up in D.C. and it is called H.R. 5378. From their perspective, they would like to push this legislation to try to prevent more consolidation, more hospital groups sopping up, swallowing up doctors' clinics because they believe that it's going to lead to some some savings, especially when it comes to you know what the government can control, which is 
the price of Medicare and retiree uh, health care. Have you been able to, you or colleagues or anybody has been able to to calculate, quantify and the savings and maybe give an example on how uh, an individual retiree might might save on health care if this passes? Yeah, so um, my colleagues here at Leukemia and Lymphoma Society worked with some uh, some actuaries and number crunchers just a few months ago, and we calculated in our space, you know, again, we represent folks with blood cancer, so a patient with myeloma, which is a pretty common blood cancer, um, could be saving more than $1,200 each year if these changes were passed by Congress. And we see similar numbers, whether someone has multiple sclerosis or breast cancer, uh, lung cancer, you really see similar numbers out there, patients being able to save $1,000 or more per year uh, with certain treatment regimens that really rely on the type of services that are being paid for. And here. one thing I know so is really, really substantial. Yeah, cancer, man, one thing I know, and, and thank God, I let me knock on wood, find some wood around here. Um, cancer medicine is real expensive. So like, and, and you you put it out in the calendar, that's like, that's like $100 in saving monthly. Uh, is it for the medicine? Is it the doctor visit or, or the savings specific that would take place if it happens? Yeah, it's really the the cost of getting the medicine at the doctor's office. Uh, you know, there's a charge for every time you go to get the medicine. So even if you keep the medicine at the same price, just the cost of going to the doctor, if you can really reduce that substantially, All patients right, can you know, lower their prices or the price that they pay out of pocket um, by that $1,200. So a really substantial amount for people who are really struggling to afford their health care. We, we hear patients all the time. They're really struggling to afford the really just necessary cancer care, and this would be a big help for, for them to make sure they get the care they need. All right, man. Thanks for the heads up, Brian. Pleasure meeting you. With the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, Brian Connell. This is The Sergio Show. KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. In this primary season, there are some locations that have open primaries where anyone can decide that you know, this season they will be Democrat or Republican. Independents are surely open to that possibility. You know, here in Texas, we have open primary come Super Tuesday. Uh, let's say, you know, in the past you voted Democrat, you can vote Republican now. Vice versa, you can do that. Uh, you guys are not registered, haven't voted in a while. Uh, if you know whichever party you choose, you will be classified as a D or an R. It's open to everybody. Um, come Super Tuesday, so keep that in mind. I, I remember a time years ago. It was during the. Democrat primary where Barack Obama was fighting with Hillary Clinton and the great late Rush Limbaugh. He got involved. Uh, he pushed something called Operation, I think called Operation Chaos, 
right, for the Operation Chaos. He was telling Republicans and independents who had really nothing to lose to say, hey, why don't you, why don't you guys go and vote on the Democrat side? And was he calling uh, – he was calling for Barry, right? He said, go vote for Barack so that we can get rid of Hillary, something like that. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was tied in Texas. So independents this go-around, might they be a spoiler – this go around. Let me bring in from Young Voices, Stephen Kent. I'm going to answer my question, Steve. I say no because I don't think there are enough of them to try to unseat Donald Trump in any open primary. Besides, on the Democrat side, the Democrats won't be stupid enough to cross over and vote and register as Republicans for the most part because they got a lot of local elections that they need to decide. But anyway, want to get your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I think independent voters um, are something of a myth, to be honest, Sergio. Uh, you, every year we hear this narrative about the rising tide of independent voters, unaffiliated, uh, who are, you know, the new core electorate in American politics. This has been going on now for at least two decades. As of today, we've got 45% of American adults calling themselves independent voters. They are unregistered with the Republicans or the Democrats, and that is up a solid 10%. Uh, from where we were just a decade ago. And this trend is going to increase. But the fact of the matter is, is that 75% of unaffiliated voters are lean R, lean D, and they almost always vote accordingly. Yeah. Uh, the independent phenomenon is more about what voters dislike than what they do like. Wow. And I don't think independent voters are going to swing this election in any meaningful way because it is such a polarized environment. We've been like that for the longest time. Why is it? How, have, how did we get here? Look, I know this is not the first election cycle that we see a... I'm just going to be generous with the metrics. I think it's less, less than one-third, maybe closer to 30%, Solid D, solid liberal, solid leftist, solid socialist, uh, upheaval of social norms, all that stuff. They're the super hyper crazy lunatic liberals, uh, Democrat party. That's the way Democrats are today. That's a, that's the party. Uh, less than that number, like upper twenties, I think, is the committed Republicans mm-hmm. that say, okay, we we can't, you can't do anything else. You you got to fight Republican for smaller government, protecting the border, all that stuff, and social norms and tradition, and then you got this big blob that is, at times, honestly, Stephen, at, at times I'm, I'm tempted to call them willfully uninformed, not passionate, uncommitted, and they wait for the very last minute to make a dangerous decision on where to direct this country. I mean, would you describe them that way, or are they more intelligent than, than I make them out to be? You know, I, I tend to think that voters are actually quite smart. They are paying attention, and they understand their interests. They know what matters to them and their family, and they know which candidates are better representatives of what are in their interests. Uh, but what we find with independents and unaffiliated is, again, they are, are sort of acting in a way um, tied to negative polarization. So negative polarization is this political phenomenon where um, you really clearly know what you hate, what you don't like in politics or in media, uh, but you don't really have a strong feelings about what you do like. Uh, 
And when voters are lied to by members of the other party or candidates of the other party, they're told that this Republican candidate is a Nazi, a hater of women, a racist, or some out-of-touch corporate shill. And then they look at that candidate, that Republican candidate, and go, they are none of these things. What else are you lying to me about? They vote against that Democrat. And you see this same sort of happening with independent voter trends uh, on the other side. When Republicans sort of overreach and go too far in criticizing the radicalism of a Democrat and try to paint them as some sort of, you know, Marxist Leninist, but they're actually just a squish Northern Virginia Democrat, uh, it doesn't it doesn't line up. And that branding uh, really, really backfires. Um, so I just think that voters, like, they understand the truth of a lot of politics, which is that you've got a lot of normal, middle-of-the-road candidates who are trying to make their way through the electoral system in Republican and Democratic parties. Um, but we've got a polarized environment where hyperbole and accusations rule the day. I don't know, man. I, I, with 30, I'm, I'm more cynical than you are, 30-plus years doing this, just watching all the trends <laughs> and how people, they vote against their, their self-interest, I think, many, many times, not realizing what they just voted for. Even people in the pews, people in the church, really, did you just vote for you know all this social, all the changes in social norms? You just voted that, and then you profess and, and practice something else. It's like, I, I think, this is my opinion, the, the, mm-hmm. at the national level, GOP, where I don't see any leadership whatsoever, and they should be dropping, they should be advertising carpet bombing online, connecting the dots with simple messages, could be 10, 15, 20 seconds, five seconds, videos of the border mess that we have. Those are very easily digestible videos and pictures of gas stations and grocery shelf prices 36 months ago to what you have right now, the crazy social upheaval, the changes and education, the, the, the mess that was Afghanistan, the, the deaths right now, the, the poor recruitment in the military. There's so many things you could draw from. Just, just put the images, put the video out there, carpet bomb all these ads online. But there's no movement yeah. on, on that. And, and, and you have to connect the dots and educate people because the leftist media sure is not going to be doing the job for the conservatives in this country. No, they definitely won't be. And again, kind of going back to independent voters and, and you know, what they might believe, these middle-of-the-road voters, um, I'll just throw you two different case examples of sort of where the Republican and Democratic parties are, are generally out of touch with what most people want. Uh, when it comes to the border and illegal immigration, uh, the average number for at least a decade across polls has come out to about 72% of Americans who want a strong southern border and an in-control immigration system. That's 72. That's a really great number. But these people also tend to want a pathway to citizenship for the millions of people who are already here. Wow. The Republican Party has has staked out a position of we want the strongest possible border, but we want to do, you know, kind of uh, more extreme things of getting people out of the country who already came here legally, which is which is fair. I, yeah. I sympathize with that point of view. Yeah. But most people actually don't. They want to give people the pathway and then close. Very the interesting. Yeah. Read the tea leaves on that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got to go, Steve. It's yeah. a pleasure speaking with you. And we'll call you again Finn. from Young Voices, Stephen Kent. This is the Sergio Show.